The Heather McCoy Show. And welcome back to, or welcome to the Heather McCoy Show. In our middle segment today, I'll be talking with Alex Henderson, who is a freelance writer, and we'll be talking about his latest article, How You'll Get Screwed If the Conservatives Kill the U.S. Postal Service, and that can be found on alternate.com. Then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson. He'll join us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with a regular contributor, the blogger we find, fieldofschemes.com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Good morning, Heather. Good morning. Um, so last week, uh, uh, Virginia Beach voted to approve a new arena. My first question is why, because the Sacramento Kings have no shot at moving there at this point. And the total budget for the arena looks to be about $200 million, which doesn't get an arena consideration from the NHL or NBA at this point. Why would they consider doing building an arena? Because all the cool kids have one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving uh, you on. know, I mean, it, it, I think... It, a bug got stuck in their head when they were talking about moving the Kings to Virginia Beach, and then suddenly elected officials in Virginia Beach thought, hey, people notice us. Maybe they'll notice us even more if we have an arena, because, you know, that's what major league cities have. Um, and, yeah, a $200 million arena in Virginia Beach is not going to turn Virginia Beach into Kansas City, let alone New York. But um, I guess there are still some people there who think that. And the, the latest deal is a little bit more... Uh, Less risky, let's put it for the uh, for the uh, for the city, although it's still not that great. So I don't know. I mean, how long have we been talking about this, and how long have I been writing about this? And you would think that by now people <laughs> have gotten the idea that building arenas, you know, whether for basketball or hockey or just concerts and you know circus and things like that, is not the best form of economic development for your city. But um, message doesn't quite seem to be sinking in yet. I'm guessing the arena is going to be hosting high school graduations and Taylor Swift concerts, and that's about it. Uh, yeah, that's about right. Taylor Swift better tour a lot. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, so as we talked about before, Madison Square Garden has a 32-year-old pa- uh, property tax exemption. The value of the exemption is $54 million in 2015, and the projected out over 30 years it's worth 241 million dollars in today's dollars the odd nuance to this is that the exemption is written into law at the state level so the city council although it tried to pull back that exemption in 2008 it's powerless to stop it how did the the city council hands get tied by having the basically the exemption put into the state uh, house yeah this was way back in the 80s, um, and I, I, it was actually even before the time that I was following this, but I believe what happened was um, the city, back when Ed Koch was mayor, um, w- proposed this tax exemption that was supposed to be only for a few years to fund some improvements, that the, some renovations that the, that the Garden wanted to do at the time. And somehow, after it came, I mean, it had, I think it had to go to the legislature because it's one of those things that the city doesn't fully control. They can control the property tax rate, yeah. but they can't control, they couldn't control this kind of uh, level of exemption. So they, so they went to the state, and somewhere along the way, but, you know, when all the lobbyists and the legislators had finished talking about it, the, any, any sign of a sunset provision had disappeared. So instead of it being for a few years, it was forever. And uh, Mayor Koch and some other people immediately said, hey, we didn't mean to do that, um, but uh, the legislature has declined since then to uh, take any of it back, saying, well, you know, not our problem. We just voted for this thing. Um, so every year, you know, you usually have the New York City Council and New York Mayor, whoever it is, saying that we need to get rid of this, uh, this you know, huge tax subsidy at this point. 
Um, but the New York State Legislature is extremely dysfunctional and basically have a combination of the New York legislators who are, you know, tight with Cablevision, the owners of the Garden, um, and the upstate legislators who don't really care what New York City gets in tax, you know, <laughs> is giving out in tax breaks. Um, and between all those and the, and the, you know, the usual party fights, um, nothing ever, ever really happens. Um, I did. I did. I do want to add. I did get to go and see for the first time with my own two eyes the uh, the renovations that they did to the garden on Saturday. I went to the the home opener of the New York Liberty, the NBA team. Oh yeah, and um, it was fine. You know, it was the the they definitely painted everything and you know redid the concourses a little bit. I didn't notice the food being any better, but you know, it's <laughs> the same same old waffle fries that I like. So, um, and the inside, the interior seating bowl. Um, I don't know how many people have been to the garden or are listening, but it used to be this sort of, you know, multiple rings, um, which back in the old days were like different pastel colors. Um, and they uh, now it's sort of like one seating, lower seating bowl and one upper seating bowl, and there's some luxury suites stuck in there in the middle. Um, it's all fine and well and good. Uh, me and my friends who were there could not possibly imagine how it had cost a billion dollars. Yeah. You know, um, I it it. I guess possibly all the behind-the-scenes stuff and some of those luxury suites and things like that, but it's certainly not like it's such a better place to see, you know, a more modern and up-to-date. You know, there's a new scoreboard, which is actually kind of garish, and the uh, all the stats are at the top and the video screen is at the bottom, which seems backwards because you want to glance up at the score, you have to crane your neck all the way up to see <laughs> what, the, what the score is in tiny type. Oh, wow. uh, you know, I mean, again, the, it's, it seems... So much the case with so many new or renovated buildings. I go to them and I say, "Yeah, okay, that's kind of nice, but really, you needed this. You know, you just yeah. spent that much to get this." I was gonna say, with their latest renovations, did they get anything like anything like the 1982 property tax exem- exemption? No, no, no. This one, they. I mean, I think they realized they weren't going to get anything more than uh, than the city. I mean, they, the one thing they do get is since this property is now more valuable. Um, there's even more property taxes that they now aren't paying. <laughs> so that's one reason those numbers jumped up for the value of the property tax exemption, is that, you know, they're now not paying even more in property taxes on this, you know, now more expensive building, um, which is sort of a theoretical uh, uh, benefit to them, but it's a benefit nonetheless. Were, were local politicians talking about knocking down the garden to make Penn Station again? Um, was that motivated by the fact they can't control the property tax? Is that the Madison Square Garden and transportation no, needs? It, it, if anything, it seems to have been motivated by the uh, New York Times architecture critic, who just hates the fact that there's you know this stupid basketball arena sitting on top of uh, you know the city's busiest uh, train terminal. Um, or a train station, and uh, you know, it's preventing them from doing any sort of new new Penn Station there. Um, and he really made a crusade out of it, and uh, some of the local uh, uh, government groups sort of took it up. And so now, the, you know, the council voted last year saying, okay, we're you know we're only extending the operating permit for this building for another ten years, and we could in ten years say, you know, you have to get out. I don't think that's really going to happen. I think the the goal is to sort of in the medium to long term get the owners of Madison Square Garden thinking, okay, this is the last renovation, and after this, you know, we're going to be looking elsewhere. Um, I think it's people who are taking a very, very long view who want a new Penn Station 20 or 30 years from now and figure they have to start now talking about it, um, which, which might make sense. Um, I mean, there's, there are good reasons for the garden to be there, um, in part because it's already built, 
and in part because it's you know really easy for everyone to get to. You don't want to put the garden somewhere that's not anywhere near a train station. Um, but uh, you know, I as someone who was born. I think two years after the old Penn Station was destroyed, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to having a, a train station in New York where you can actually come above ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, the MLS, we'll talk about them real briefly. Uh, the MLS is trying to get to 24 teams by 2020, and it's quite a competition that's shaking up. There's interest in Austin, Minneapolis, Sacramento, San Antonio, and San Diego, Vegas. And uh, by my math, currently the team has, or the league has currently 19 teams. 22 if you count David, David Beckham's contract clause for Miami, another one for the Orlando expansion team, and yet another one for the um, Arthur Blank's Atlanta expansion franchise. So with two remaining, is MLS's plans to do kind of like a subsidy shakedown for the remaining um, cities that are on the list? I think you left out the new New York team. So oh, for the New York 20, team. There's 23 that are assigned, yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, so, so there's really only one slot, and... Um, you have to figure MLS is going to milk that for all that it's worth, right? You know, if you've only got, got one opportunity here, you want to make sure that uh, the people pay through the nose. And I imagine that will both mean whoever is getting the team paying through the nose for an expansion fee and also whatever city wants it paying through the nose for a stadium, um, which, you know, has not been the case for MLS um, in the past. I mean, certainly there are cities that have paid an awful lot, um, but it hasn't been of the scale of, of some of the other sports leagues. So it'll be interesting to see whether they can whether they can you know use this leverage to try and demand uh, that someone you know just give them the store. But uh, like you said, there are there are innumerable cities that think that they can that they can do this. I mean, I, did you mention Indianapolis? Indianapolis is, is oh yeah, that's right. There. Indianapolis is up there. Indy Eleven, right? You know, I mean, there's just everybody thinks, oh, you know, Major League Soccer. Yeah, we can get one of those. Yeah. Um, it's and and of course there's nothing stopping them from going beyond 24. I mean that's sort of considered oh well that's an ideal number. But you know if they have another two or four or six cities that they think they can they can get uh, money out of, you know they can just come back and say okay next round of expansion. Well, how many of those cities do you think that can support a team? I don't think San Diego or Sacramento can. I mean the, the city supports the Chargers well enough, but the Padres are kind of dead man zone. I don't. I mean Sacramento, you know they have issues with the Kings, so. I only see really like maybe Austin and Minneapolis and San Antonio as the only viable ones in the list. I don't think anybody knows who can support an MLS team. You know, I mean, yeah. it's soccer in the U.S. I mean, the, the, there's, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody knows if New York is going to adequately support that <laughs> team. So it's it's uh, at this point the, the the league strategy is clearly let's just keep expanding as fast as we can. You know, keep racking up those expansion fees because apparently there are rich people. Um, you know, who are desperate enough to own a team, or, uh, you know, even more than that, people who own soccer teams overseas who are interested in getting into the U.S. market and sort of using it as a marketing opportunity for their teams, right? Yeah. Um, so I think they're thinking, you know, the, the iron is hot, let's strike now, get whatever money we can, and we'll work it out later. Um, I would not be at all surprised to see MLS uh, ditch some teams or move some teams you know, five, ten years from now, you know, as they sort of uh, realize they've gone to a bunch of places that aren't going to support it. But again, you know, other leagues have done that, and it hasn't killed them. I mean, the NHL completely overexpanded to the South, and um, it was, wasn't was a good idea, but uh, it hasn't, you know, it hasn't been a disaster for the NHL. You know, the NHL still survives, and it just means they have uh, a bunch of teams to move around. I just thought of something, actually. The Chivas USA is back in MLS control, so that can be viewed as an expansion franchise for these cities, too, if they want to put that in play. 
Yeah, they can certainly move them. Um, so, and you know, again, there the more teams you have, the more teams you potentially have in play. So you can you can start moving teams around. Um, but you know, once you've blown through the uh, the twenty uh, twenty team limit, which is you know what most leagues have overseas. Um, once you're up to 24, I don't think it really matters. You know, is, it, is 28 that many more than 24? Yeah, um, still less than the NFL has. Yeah, definitely. Uh, speaking of Beckham in Miami and MLS, uh, how do you put a voter referendum on the ballot when the location and full financing details haven't been firmly set into place? Well, Beckham said said yesterday, I think, that he's okay with this boat flip site. So it seems like the location is in place. Okay. How, how do you have a referendum when when uh, when we don't have the financing details? Haven't you been following? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know that unfortunately, that happens all the time that you vote, right? I mean, you vote on things, and it's uh, it's still up in the air um, about exactly what's what's going to happen. Um, I mean, even you know. Locally, something like California, when the Padres got their new stadium, um, you know, I remember when the, the Padres won the World Series that year, it was 98, I think. Yeah. And, you know, big, uh, you know, vote yes on Prop C uh, signs on the outfield walls and everything like that. And it passed, and there was still, you know, like another $100 million worth of, worth of uh, money that they still needed to come up with or something like that, it turned out. So, unfortunately, you can have a referendum on whatever you want, and then... Um, you know, go back and revise the deal, and it's up to somebody to sue and say, hey, no, that's not what we voted on. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's possible that they will push back. I mean, I, I think it's likely that they'll push back the referendum, uh, you know, if not to November, then certainly beyond that. Um, and it's possible they, they may be able to get, you know, some sort of financing plan in, in place at least uh, before the actual vote. But you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a huge problem that uh, that you know, very often getting a public vote on things doesn't actually mean getting a public vote on the things that you're actually going to do. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask you about the potential boycott of uh, the NBA by LeBron James if uh, and other players if Sterling still own the Clippers next season. Let's just say, for example, the next season, the you know, the Sterlings have still own the, they haven't been uh, removed by the owners and they still own the Clippers. Do you see LeBron and others barnstorming that could eventually lead to a player's league? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> They're making too much money, you know? I mean, the, the, it's a nice threat, um, but, like, it's not like the NBA isn't trying to get rid of Donald Sterling, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's all going to be a matter of the courts. And what's, what's it going to accomplish boycotting, you know, games? Is, is a judge going to be swayed? Oh, my God, I can't watch LeBron James. Um, you know, it's, it's nice talk, but I don't, I don't think I think, unfortunately, for everyone concerned, this thing is going to drag on for a while, and we're going to be, you know, stuck um, not having closure on the Donald Sterling era. Um, but I don't know if that's completely unfortunate, you know? I mean, I, I kind of don't want the NBA to be able to just move on from this and say, okay, we got rid of the bad apple, now everybody else is okay. Yeah, that's... Um, because it's important for the NBA to be talking about um, you know, what is appropriate behavior, what is appropriate, uh, you know, conduct in terms of how you run your business, not just what you say in private, um, but, you know, looking at how Sterling ran his, uh, his housing business, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think that there's some opportunities to, to be had to continue to be having you talk about this for a while. And the ironic part is, like, uh, Deadspin did a really good expose on Kevin Johnson, who is, you know, acting as the player rep for their union, and he's pretty shady, too. Shady, maybe creepy. Creepy, <laughs> yeah. A better word, you know. Um, there were all sorts of all sorts of uh, uh, reports about him, uh, like 
getting naked with teenagers and claiming, oh, I don't didn't remember that we were naked. <laughs> it, the, the allegations are really, really, really odd and, like I said, creepy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, again, like it's it's a good conversation to have. Do I think that that uh, that that necessarily means that Kevin Johnson is wrong when he criticizes Donald Sterling? You know, of course not. Um, people, even people who are who are creepy and wrong, and you know, <laughs> in some ways, can be right in other ways. But um, I don't know. It, it it would be nice to be able to feel like we could have an open discussion about the um, morality and behavior of people in the sports world without it becoming, okay, who do we forgive completely and who do we, um, you know, kick out pretty much, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's this guy on the on the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, Josh Lukey, I think is his name. Yeah. Um, he's a pitcher who I, I do not remember the exact um, uh, legal outcome of his rape case, um, but he did some pretty awful stuff, it seems like. And it, it, it was like this moment where it was like, okay, do we drum this guy out of baseball or do we just say, okay, we're going to forgive him? And there has to be another option, right? You know, the number of sports figures who have, you know, been accused or convicted of rape, who have been accused or convicted of spousal abuse, you know, all sorts of things, um, is, is really, really long. And there has to be a way of both holding people accountable um, without kicking out half the league. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dave Zurin from The Nation, he wrote something with a lawsuit with Donald Sterling and a prolonged drag out with the NBA. It can unearth some stuff about like the Oklahoma City owner, uh, Clay Burkett. And, you know, it can just it can be really devastating for the league. Yeah, I mean, I, again, it shouldn't take that, right? I mean, yeah. there's nothing stopping people from investigating other owners at this point and saying, hey, are there other potential Donald Sterlings out there? Or, you know, not Donald Sterlings, but other other people with, uh, you know, with things that they don't want revealed. Um, and it would be nice for the media to, to be exploring that and for the NBA to be exploring that, right? Yeah. But um, unfortunately, I think it's going to take Donald Sterling still being in the headlines to to you know, unearth some of that. Um, fortunately, Donald Sterling is probably going to be in the headlines for a while. So Yeah, especially after his last week's CNN interview. That was incredible. I had still not <laughs> watched it. but uh, Oh, thing, my. But... Yeah, it's like the worst thing he could possibly do to himself. It was pretty awesome. Um, you know, I think Donald Sterling's M.O. at this point is the worst <laughs> thing he can possibly do to himself. <laughs> exactly. What do you think make of the Atlanta Braves' new moon-based sta- uh, stadium renderings complete with artificial lake? <laughs> Uh, somebody told me the artificial lake is going to be partly like a drainage pond because they're building it in like this swamp, so they have to actually have some place for all the water to go. Ew. Um, I, you know, it's just, it's not any worse, I guess, than a whole bunch of other places. They've got this you know huge entertainment district uh, that they're supposedly building um, in the middle of nowhere, so you can like get out of your car and walk down a fake street for a couple blocks and then get to the get to the stadium. Um, the stadium faces south which is weird, um, but not so far south that the sun will actually beat the batter's eyes during the game. So I guess that's not too odd. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it doesn't look like the sort of place that I want to run out and go see a baseball game at, but then none of them do. Um, and to be honest, this early in the game, I think they just had to release renderings in order to release renderings. If yeah. it looks significantly like this once it's built, I will be stunned. Um, just because everything always changes between 
between initial renderings and, and the actual design. Uh, even often between the final renderings and the actual design, there are plenty of places that I've, you know, that once they're built, you look at them and you're like, oh, that doesn't quite look like the pictures, but okay. Yeah, I'm thinking they're going to, you know, sell mosquito repellent at the theme store if it's on a swamp. I, I don't know if it's actually a swamp, but it's like some sort of natural depression that um, the water would not flow out of otherwise. But, you know, that's a lake in the outfield, that... Uh, you know, I guess they, they can maybe put kayaks out there like San Francisco has and have people <laughs> floating around in a lake in nowhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, Wrigley Field is celebrating 100 years as a ballpark. Some management decides to fit up declarations to celebrate its birthday, but one mural is actually of the White Sox old Kaminsky Park and not Wrigley Field. This reminds me of the time when the Cleveland Browns had a bunch of poorly attributed inspirational quotes painted on the training facility walls. Where are the fact checkers? You know, I love their excuse. They're like, well, it was labeled Wrigley Field. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know if anybody here has actually done any, you know, archival research at all, but you really have to check that whatever's scribbled on the back of the photo isn't actually what it is. Um, yeah, the, the Cubs, I guess the, the most charitable way of putting this is that the Cubs have been I think way more involved in these sort of marketing aspects of the hundredth anniversary than the uh, um, actual historic aspects. Yeah. So I'm not that surprised they grabbed a photo and they're like, "Hey, Charles Lindbergh, that guy would look good on the wall," <laughs> um, and you know, didn't didn't check too closely. Um, but you know, I mean, again, to be fair, like people make mistakes and they're, they're going to paint over it and paint something else up there. Oh, definitely. Um, but but it does seem very Cubs, doesn't it? It does, definitely. Um, Neil DeMoss, he runs fieldofschemes.com, and he, uh, that's a blog, and then he also wrote a book by the same name. Thanks for being on the show. Sure thing. And see, you we'll, next week. see you next week, and we'll talk with Alex Anderson next about the U.S. and United States Postal Service. This is the Heather McCoy Show.